Good morning and welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, as well as on Arut Sheva around the world, Arut Sheva Israel National News slash radio. And thanks for joining us here another Thursday morning of political talk. We were, of course, off for two weeks, sorry, for the two-week hiatus uh, due to Pesach. Yeah, getting a show together out of Pesach, despite everything that was going on, just impossible. I know it was right after the New York primary. I know it was right after a state special election in New York, and as well as a special election for assembly, and there was all kinds of things going on. But uh, I apologize for that. But we are back, and we are back with big news. We never thought it was going to happen. First and foremost, got to thank our sponsor, the S4 Group, S4GRP.com. If you want to subscribe to a very informative weekly email, go to s4grp.com, scroll down, you'll find it. A great email weekly on politics and policy. And I have to say, I was wrong. I'm admitting it right off the bat. I never thought it could happen. Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee for president. Not sure he can win. Not sure what's going to happen. But he is, at this point, certainly the presumptive nominee for president. And on the same day, you had an incredible, well, at least what I would say, an incredible political, I don't know, it's just hard to say, the morning of the Indiana primary. On that very morning of the Indiana primary, that was this past Tuesday, Donald Trump went on national television And said that Ted Cruz's father had something to do, or at least suggested, had something to do with the Kennedy assassination. Yes. I mean, we all know this already. We all know that he quoted and he said his defense was the fact that, well, it was the National Enquirer. So this is essentially what we're going to get here. And it's part of that unpredictable, say anything, do anything, which I think so many Americans find totally refreshing. And which is pretty amazing. They find it entertaining. They find it refreshing. They're glued to the television sets because they never know what the guy is going to say. And I've had that at times. I'm sitting there, and every day I want to know, okay, what did Trump say today? What did he tweet today? What's he, and the man, what, what he has done has dominated every single news cycle every day. He sets the agenda every morning. He's the only one who calls into all the morning shows. He goes on the morning shows. Well, he doesn't, some of them he goes on, but he calls into all the morning shows. So the whole day, the whole media cycle is left of Donald Trump, of people trying to respond to Donald Trump. And he did that early, and he did it often, and he dominated the other 16 members of the Republican field. One by one, he picked them off, and they each thought, well, we're going to figure out how to, once we get them one-on-one, we're going to take them. And that's what Ted Cruz thought. He kept saying that. Once I get them one-on-one, I'm going to take them. It was a flawed strategy. John Kasich said, once I get him one-on-one, I'm going to be able to take him. Maybe that would have worked, but he never got him one-on-one because John Kasich, unfortunately, as of even when he dropped out, he was running fourth in a two-man race with the delegates in his delegate. He had not won any delegates, essentially, in since Ohio when he won 66 delegates. 
he was running behind Marco Rubio. Marco Rubio hasn't been in the race for quite some time. So let's analyze what's going on. Let's take a look. Let's unpack, as we like to do. Look at this Republican race. Absolutely fascinating year. I mean, who would have thought that back a year ago, Donald Trump, when he strolled down that escalator in Trump Tower and talked about Mexicans being rapists, and his claim to fame before that had been accusing Barack Obama over and over, even when the matter seemed to have been settled, over and over of being a foreign-born citizen, a fake birth certificate, while well, I go on and on and on. And now the big choice becomes, and we don't know who the Democratic nominee is going to be, although I think mathematically it's going to be Hillary, although it's, you know, who knows? I mean, Bernie Sanders pulls off yet another win. Perhaps, you know, the only person who comes close in history to Donald Trump's negatives is Hillary Clinton. But a lot of questions to ask, a lot of questions to ask. So as I said, in the morning, Donald Trump accuses Ted Cruz's father of being involved with Lee Harvey Oswald, essentially insinuating that he has something to do with the Kennedy assassination. By evening, Donald Trump is the presumptive Republican nominee as he whips Ted Cruz and John Kasich in Indiana. And once again, you know, he does it by winning almost every county. And, and every, you know, congressional district. And he did this in the Acela primary, which was last Tuesday as well. I mean, in the, that one, that was in, absolutely incredible. He just won every single, every single county in five states. And aside from the area around Fort Wayne, in the northeast corner of the state, which is, was Cruz won, Donald Trump won every single county in Indiana. Now, interestingly enough, uh, Donald Trump went on TV today. And the guy obviously hates losing because it's incredible. They asked him, well, you know, the only county that you didn't win in New York was your home county of New York County, also known as Manhattan. And Donald Trump says, no, 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 there's, they're, they're still counting that one. We're not sure we might win. Now I've looked, I've looked all day to try and figure out to see whether, whether, I mean, I've looked, you know, since then to see, try and figure out whether there's anything accurate about that, whether they're still counting. And it wasn't exactly, you know, it wasn't a blowout, but he, he didn't, you know, it was 46, 41%. Um, so I don't know exactly what he's talking about as far as that's concerned. But, you know, maybe somebody can you know, figure it out. But obviously the guy hates losing. I mean, when he lost in Iowa, he couldn't accept it. He basically said, well, you know, Ted stole the election. Lion Ted, he stole the election. It's where Lion Ted comes from. It's pretty incredible. Little Marco, Lion Ted, Low Energy Bush. Just a good nickname for everybody. So now we set up a general election. Yeah, it's look Trump Hillary. It's probably going to be. A lot of people are going to have a choice to make. I mean, it's kind of the never Trump crowd. Where's the never Trump crowd go? Uh, I have to say, I have said many people, I am not going to support Donald Trump. I'm not going to vote for Donald Trump. I did not vote for Donald Trump in the primary. I don't know that I could vote for Donald Trump in the election, in the general. In fact, I had a very interesting conversation with a colleague of mine, a you know smart political operative on the Republican side, who just kind of assumed I was going to be supporting Trump. And I said to him, I'm not voting for Trump. He said, you can't possibly be voting for Hillary. I said, I might not vote for Hillary either. And then I said to him, I said, which issues do you agree with Trump on? He said, well, you know, I agree with most of this. So I said, well, do you agree with him? Do you agree with Donald Trump on deporting illegal or undocumented immigrants, 11 million of them? He says, well, he's not really going to do it. I said, 
Do you agree with him on building a wall? Are we going to build a wall for $11 billion or whatever it is, whatever the cost is? Is Mexico going to pay for it? So he says, I think he could build the wall, but Mexico is not going to pay for it. Okay, number two, I don't think that's so that's too, too, so far that he doesn't agree with. Do you agree that you shouldn't, we shouldn't have a religious test for people coming into this country? That you, we can't say we're going to ban all Muslims? So he argued with me and said he doesn't really believe in that either. Because it's not real. It's not, it's not going to happen. You know, and then he said, well, the spirit is we just have to figure it out. And finally, essentially, he just said, well, Trump says all these outrageous things. It's a starting point in negotiations because he's a negotiator. He doesn't really stand for any of these things. He says these things because he wants to arrive at a better deal. And I get that. I get that. I understand that. But that doesn't work for me. I don't want a president. I don't think the president of the United States should be saying things that are so unpresidential that put the country into a difficult position. I said, do, do you want Saudi Arabia to have nuclear weapons? Well, he didn't say that. I, it's, well, you know, either people are not paying attention to what the guy says, or they don't believe what he says, or they believe that he doesn't believe what he says, and therefore he actually means something else. Okay. I think a lot of people are in denial. They're self-delusional about Trump. And you know another person who was self-delusional about Trump? Ted Cruz. Because you think about it, why didn't Ted Cruz get out of the race? He had still plenty of money. He had a great organization, a great campaign. This guy actually, you know, I know we think of Ted Cruz as having, you know, being this heavyweight, but he was not really going to be the top, one of the top tier candidates. He became a top tier candidate because he ran a great campaign. He had a great strategy. It was upended, of course, by the Trump phenomenon, but he had a great strategy. I mean, if you think about it now, who was the outside anti-establishment candidate who was supposed to be there at the end? That was going to be Ted Cruz. It wasn't supposed to be Donald Trump. Donald Trump was going to drop out. I mean, do you remember in the initial debates when Donald Trump got in, everybody dismissed him. Nobody wanted to lay a finger on him. You would have figured that, you know, somebody would have got after him, but nobody, nobody wanted to touch him. Even, you know, going down, I mean, nobody really wanted to touch him. I mean, Chris Christie, of course, in the New Hampshire thing, he went after Marco Rubio. He didn't go after Donald Trump. Remember, Donald Trump was winning, but he still didn't go after him. Nobody wanted to go after Trump. Nobody wanted to get in there. Nobody wanted. And then Jeb finally went in, and then Marco tried to go in, and then Cruz finally had enough on the last day, and he called Trump a pathological liar. But let's just talk about Cruz for a second. I mean, Cruz is kind of the designer of his own demise in this case. Cruz is emblematic of the Tea Party. He's emblematic of the Freedom Caucus. He's emblematic of anti-establishment inside Washington, but a guy who goes there not to get things done, not to govern, but essentially to protest, to protest everything that he sees that he wants to get done. I'm there to serve the people. I'm there to serve, you know, what I ran on, but, you know, who cares? I mean, he's through the government shutdown. That's Ted Cruz, the Tea Party. That's Ted Cruz. I don't blame him for that. The guy stands for his principles. He He's a principled person, and he kept around on that. But it doesn't seem that anybody cares about those principles. Only what it cares is tearing the place down, burning the town you know, down. And that's that's kind of the sentiment of the Republican Party, of the, at least a significant segment of the Republican Party electorate right now. And that's what they want to do. They want to tear the place down. And so they don't want anybody who smacks, who has a name senator in front of them. And that's what Ted was finding out. And maybe that's what finally got to him, is despite everything they did, despite the Hail Mary pass, you know, I get him one-on-one. Okay, I'll get John Kasich to sit out in Indiana. Okay, I'll go for Kali Fiorina, 
Caulifier Arena, an eloquent attack dog, you know, who can do well amongst women to get rid of Donald Trump's advantage, uh, to, I'm sorry, to exacerbate, push short salt in the wound of Donald Trump's woman problem. Didn't work. Nothing that he did worked. But Ted Cruz, over the last time he's been in Washington, has been a symbol of anti-establishment. He encouraged this type of behavior. He encouraged, he tried to harness all of this behavior, and that was his play, to go in and harness a lot of this, together with hardcore evangelicals, together with hardcore conservatives, and he made a lot of enemies along the way. And when it came down to it, when he became the face of Never Trump, so many people out there, so many people that I know, operatives, money people, just couldn't bring themselves to support Ted Cruz because they just couldn't stand the guy. They had such a bad experience with him. They'd rather deal with the devil. Well, I know John Boehner called him Lucifer in the flesh. They'd rather deal with the devil they didn't know, meaning Donald Trump, and more acceptable to them, the devil they did know, meaning Ted Cruz. So a little bit of the chickens came home to roost at this. You know, Ted Cruz, from a lot of perspective, would have been or could have been or should be a better candidate or a more acceptable candidate for the Republican Party than Donald Trump. But yet, nobody rallied to Ted Cruz's events, even with all these people coming down to try and stop Trump. They didn't do it. Now, they didn't rally to, they didn't do it for Ted Cruz. And they wouldn't really do it for John Kasich either, which is pretty interesting. So when you think about it, it's pretty, it's pretty telling that Ted Cruz was supposed to be that guy there, was supposed to be the guy in the lane. You know, remember that, you know, we talked about this before. Remember, you know, I, and I've said that the Republican Party primary, you know, a lot of people thought, well, it's just like, you know, it's just like the March Madness. You know, you have the brackets, the establishment lane, the anti-establishment lane, and the winners will duke it out. Well, it didn't happen that way. And it's not going to happen that way because that's just the way politics works. And the truth is, if you, a big lesson here, is that if you want to win, you go after the guy who's leading. You don't try and knock off the lesser guy so that you could then hopefully get a shot at the front runner. Nobody took shots at Donald Trump until it was too late. And it's pretty incredible because there's so much to take shots at the guy for. But, you know, Christie took a pass on that. Cruz, for a long time, kept calling Trump brash and bold or bold and brash. I'm not sure which way he said it. But, you know, he kept saying that. And he said that the voters, he was doing a service to the voters, highlighting certain issues. Of course, immigration leading the way on immigration. And you just got a sense that he was kind of biding his time till Donald Trump self-destructed and he was going to take over all his Trump voters. And he never really wanted to, nobody wanted to anger Trump. Nobody wanted to get him upset lest they not get his voters, lest he bolt the party for a third party. And the voters kept saying over and over, Oh, isn't this guy entertaining? Isn't it refreshing? This is the kind of guy I want who's really going to shake things up. Who else is going to shake things up other than Donald Trump? And when you think about it, he definitely will shake things up. There's no question. But it's just hard to know. Hard to know what happens. Now, what's the story here? Now, what? where does this leave us? 
where does this leave us? Where does this leave the Republican Party to start off with? And one thing I will say is the Republican Party, you know, everybody wants to say, okay, the Republican Party is done. Well, Daily News cover, you know, with a, the death of the Republican Party. And obviously the Daily News is never going to be supporting Trump. You know, the one thing I think that is done here, the Republican Party has that three-legged stool that's been the bedrock of the Republican Party for so long. The foreign policy conservatives, the economic conservatives, the social conservatives, all kind of wedded together with this idea that they would all promote each other and they would all, even if one person, a person was just a foreign policy conservative but socially liberal or economically conservative but socially liberal or socially conservative but economically liberal, they could all kind of work together and coexist together. Well, this whole primary season throws that whole thing on its head because the economic conservatives in the Republican Party are the big losers here. Actually, I would say the foreign policy conservatives are also the big losers and the social conservatives are the big losers. Why is that? Well, Donald Trump really is none of the three. I mean, it's hard to pin him down on foreign policy because every day it changes, but I would say to a large degree he is an isolationist. America first, you know, let's rethink NATO, let's rethink our alliances, neutrality on Israel, although he walks that back, it's totally unclear. And what do you say about a guy who's taken foreign policy, who's designated foreign policy advisor on Israel, is a lawyer who happened to have learned, you know, in Israel and, you know, in the Gush for a couple of years. I mean, I'm sure he's a wonderful guy, lives in Teaneck, from guy, wears a yarmulke, but it's a little bit troubling. But we'll leave that aside. Is he a foreign policy conservative? Well, foreign policy conservatives say no. Is he an economic conservative? Well, economic conservatives usually stand for free trade. Trump does not. Doesn't believe in free trade. They doesn't, they're against protectionism. There are, Certainly looking to have tax cuts, including tax cuts on the wealthy. Donald Trump is against that. Although it's unclear, you know, his, he has called for tremendous tax cuts. So maybe he has an economic conservative. Although if you're not a free trader, it's really hard to see how that is going to work out. And is he a social conservative? Well, he seems to have become a social conservative. You know, he recently became pro-life and he said, well, after being pro-choice for so many years. Um, but then, you know, on some of the other issues... It's unclear about any, you know, the, some of those other messy bathroom issues. And, you know, certainly not a guy who was, you know, three times married, who's publicly committed adultery, social conservative, I don't know, not really, although, you know, he did well amongst evangelicals. Who knows why that is? But what happened here? You had elites of the party, you had the leadership of the party, that was for a lot of these economic deals, particularly the trade deals, and particularly you know, big business and corporations that were doing very well and the American worker was not doing so well. But the American workers continued, or many of them, I'm sorry, many, not necessarily the unionized workers, but a lot of lower and lower middle class Americans were voting Republican based on other issues. Maybe foreign policy issues, maybe they cared, maybe it was a terrorism issue, it was the safety issue. It was... Social issues that brought a lot of people, particularly same-sex marriage for a couple cycles, and they were kind of dragging them along. And then many of them really were had, had had it with Washington. They had had it with the stagnation, and that led to you know Tea Partyism. And then they went ahead and they wanted to go ahead. They wanted change. 
and they weren't getting it because Washington is very difficult to change. So those three pillars have collapsed. That stool is gone. It's unclear whether it can be put back together. And whether the different groups that those constituent groups of those three pillars will be able to co if they can't support Trump, whether they will be able to support other down ballot Republican candidates. I mean, there are plenty of Republicans out there that are willing to concede the presidential election now. However, however, the they are certainly not willing to concede the Senate and concede the House. That is no question about that. I mean, there's no way that the Republicans are willing are, are, are willing to go ahead and do that. And they have to devise a strategy for those that are not willing to support Trump, or at least publicly, to somehow figure out how to do that. Now, also, how is the guy going to raise so much money when he hasn't raised money until now? I mean, he got to raise about a billion dollars to run for president. I don't know. Hillary seems to be able to do it, but it's not it's not clear as as, as going to. How that's going to happen. Now, one thing, now what works in Trump's favor here right now? We can talk about what doesn't work in his favor. But what works in his favor? Well, Hillary Clinton is a historically unpopular candidate. And running against somebody else who wasn't historically more unpopular, she would be, I think, relatively easy to beat. But that, of course, doesn't work. But Hillary Clinton is the symbol of the establishment. Husband was president. She's been there. She's Obama. She's a third term of Obama. And if there was ever an anti-establishment candidate, that would be Trump. Now, can Trump turn his little bit off-putting rhetoric that will that has upset so much of the electorate? And can he turn that around and somehow become more mainstream for the people who don't like Hillary? People don't trust Hillary. Democrats don't trust Hillary. But a lot of them don't trust Trump either. And for good reason. I mean, Trump has said some insane things. Forget about the Cruz's father, Lee Harvey Oswald. I mean, Trump said, as a, as a, like a, a virtual fact, that on 9-11, there were thousands of Muslims cheering from the rooftops in Jersey City. It didn't happen. I was there on 9-11. Not in Jersey City, but I was across the, I was, you know, on the other side of the Hudson. And, you know, pretty much, I mean, there was no one cheering. I don't know what he's talking about. No one cheering anywhere. Well, the guy releases tax returns. First candidate I can think of won't go ahead and release his tax returns. You know, it's just incredible when you think about it that he keeps talking about this audit that's happening, says he's going to have the, you know, release a letter and just doesn't, just doesn't do it. I mean, it's kind of like the birther thing, right? They started asking him originally whether he'd still believe that Obama was born in a foreign country, he was foreign born, and he said, I'm not talking about it. And that was it. And nobody follows him up on questions about anything. But that's generally. But what is really, what's the, what's Trump's biggest hurdle? So, interesting factoid about the changing of the American electorate. I think this is Trump's biggest problem, because there's no question that his campaign has appealed to the angry white voter, particularly the angry white man, because he does so poorly amongst women. In 1980, Ronald Reagan won 57% of the white vote in America, and he won 44 states, a total landslide. Mitt Romney won 59% of the white vote, but only won 24 states in 2012. 
the difference is staggering in the influence of the white voter. And you could see that with so much of the anger out there about the country being taken away from them, that the white electorate, particularly the white males who have suffered economic stagnation, who have seen wage wages shrink, who have seen their quality of life in many cases shrink, they're angry, they're upset, but they are a shrinking part of the electorate, and they're a bigger part, they're a big part of the Republican primary electorate, and let's just also remember that Trump has not gotten a majority of Republican primary voters. He benefited tremendously from the fragmented field that started, but they are, you know, he did have the ability running and some would say a quasi racially charged or racially charged campaign to attract enough voters, angry white voters to go ahead and make that happen. But will he be, he certainly cannot win the general election by shrinking the party. And he has to reach beyond what's certainly going to be beyond his comfort zone in order to do that. Now, let's just also say, you know, about Trump expanding the map. Now, he starts to say, I'm going to put New York in play. Now, how's he going to do that? I mean, look, New York, you know, we know New York and we know, okay, Trump, tremendous enthusiasm upstate. The problem becomes, it's like saying, yeah, I can win New York State if you take out New York City. Well, you can't actually take out New York City if you want to do New York State. I mean, Donald Trump did very well. He had record turnout, high turnout amongst Republicans. I think he got 550,000 votes or something like that. Big turnout for a New York primary. The problem is that Hillary and Bernie, I believe, got about a million and a half votes on the Democratic side. It's a big number. to you got to win the state. You can't come in a million votes behind, even if he converts tons of Democrats, and I mean hundreds of thousands of Democrats, to go ahead and vote for him which is unlikely, but even if it's possible, he's still not going to win the state. And that's the same thing in many other states, whether that's going to happen for him. You know, the Rust Belt states that he thinks, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Wisconsin, some of those places you have to think, you know, he thinks that he can win. Now let's see. Let's see if it happens. I mean, it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to see it right now. If he tones down, maybe he professionalizes campaign, brings in real campaign operatives, not, you know, some of the fly-by-night that he has, although they've done a masterful job. I mean, great candidate, you know, to work with, but I'm, I'm a little bit, I'd be a little bit concerned, you know, having them there in the, uh, in the general election. But I will say it's, it's going to be an interesting race. But one thing he's got to do, is start, we'll stop with the fabrication. It's got to come back down to earth a little bit. He's got to come back and say, you know, look, I want, you know, we got, we're going to start talking about reality here. We're not going to stop dealing with the conspiracy craziness of the Muslims cheering on 9-11, as well as the Ted Cruz, Father Lee Harvey Oswald, as well as, you know, something simple, like when he told a Jewish, bunch of Jewish reporters that he grew up uh, a couple of weeks ago, that he grew up on Ocean Parkway in Brooklyn. I mean, it's just odd that you would lie about such a thing. Donald Trump grew up in Queens and Jamaica Estates, another nice, fine neighborhood. But I guess he told the audience what he wanted to hear, which is kind of interesting. And, you know, we'll have to see. We'll have to see if he can do that. We'll have to see if he can pivot. You know, one 
other Donald Trump factoid as we wind down here, and I just think it's a little bit of an interesting aside from, you know, we, everybody wants to know who the Orthodox supported, you know, in New York, and you look at it, now, the, uh, the obviously the Orthodox support for, you know, Orthodox registration in the Republican Party is very low in Brooklyn, most people are registered as Democrats, and they delivered, you know, a lot of votes for Hillary, um, not necessarily out of proportion, well out of proportion, but Nachman Collar, the district leader from the 48th Assembly District, a little bit of a political gadfly, I'd say. Nachman Collar has made a demand that he should be a Trump delegate from the 10th Assembly, uh, 10th Congressional District, Jerry Nadler's district, that he should be there because I guess he did so well for Trump. And, you know, he endorsed Trump publicly, you know, did some Hasidic jingles and the like and, uh, you know, pulled out the vote for him. The only thing is he didn't. The assembly district where Trump did the worst, I think, in the entire state was the 40th assembly district where Ted Cruz did very well amongst the Hasidic voters, uh, mostly Hasidic and, you know, from Jew voters of Borough Park and Flatbush. So, you know, I don't know about that. You know, Nachman, uh, you know, you can claim a lot of things, but certainly getting up the Trump vote for Trump is not one of them. Anyway. We will see what happens. It's going to be an exciting race. Looking forward to next week and beyond uh, for uh, exciting general election and beyond here on Spin Class here on the Nachum Siegel Network. See you next week.